Welcome to C3 San Diego. Need something fresh, real, and powerful in your life? Connect with us on social media, get live stream service notifications, podcasts, and up-to-date information on upcoming events. We are so glad you're joining us for a powerful, life-transforming message from one of our C3 San Diego pastors. We would love to hear about how God is impacting your life through this ministry. Please share your experience with us at info at c3sandiego.com. If you'd like to be a part of what C3 Church is doing in the city of San Diego and beyond, you can contribute financially by going to c3give.com and choosing the giving option that works best for you. We hope you enjoy this message. A few weeks ago, I'm not sure if I told this service, but a few weeks ago, we, my wife and I celebrated our 15-year anniversary, wedding anniversary, which was exciting. And as she mentioned, we won a $400 voucher to La Valencia in La Jolla right on Prospect. And so we won that like two weeks before our anniversary. So we booked the hotel for our anniversary like it just, you know, worked out. Um, and then we, um, we arrive at the La Valencia on the Friday at like 1130, thinking we're just going to give them our bags, maybe go hang out at the pool or, or walk around or whatever because we didn't think our room would be ready. But we arrive at the desk and the lady goes, <clears throat> she goes, I have two good things to tell you. Number one, your room is already ready and it's 1130. We're like, sweet. And then she said, number two, we've upgraded you. And uh, the room we were staying in was like, was $480 with tax and everything. Um, and it was for a corner um, ocean view, like a partial ocean view. So they upgraded us. And we didn't know what that meant until we got there. But we were on the very top floor, right in the middle of the hotel, overlooking the, the pool, which overlooked the ocean. And so they, we later found out that room was over $1,000 at night. To, to rent, it had like a separate living room and, and a bathroom and bedroom and everything. And so it's called Favor. And uh, Favor is not fair, but it's fun. And it should be expected by the children of God. So we actually arrived believing something cool was going to happen. We weren't like that surprised that we got upgraded. And by the way, they bought some, some champagne. We were very thankful that God is good. So we got this killer room, okay? So around the ninth floor, I think it was the best room in the whole, the whole hotel. We're overlooking the pool, and about four floors down was a wedding venue. It was like where they have weddings. And so, uh, and that kind of overlooked the pool, which overlooked the ocean. And so we're sitting on the ninth floor looking down, and then we go down to the pool. My wife loves weddings. And so we're like talking about the wedding and watching the wedding coordinator decorate and wondering what it's going to look like. What's the bride going to wear? <laughs> uh, and... Uh, and so we're, we're talking about this wedding, and she's, like, super pumped about it. She's like, should we stay and watch? I'm like, I don't know. What do we do? And, and so, but we only had 24 hours, so we go, and we walk around. We have lunch. We're looking at all these restaurants, trying to see what, what restaurant are we going to go to for dinner. So we, we landed on Eddie V's, which is right on the water in Prospect, which is beautiful, has a beautiful view. But we wanted to kind of take advantage and go to somewhere else to maybe have appetizers or whatever. Um, but we decided, instead of going to have appetizers before dinner, that we would just open up our balcony doors, push our seats out to the edge, and crash this wedding. <laughs> so we're, we, we, we push our, our seats out, and instead of going to get appetizers, I ordered a charcuterie board, which is basically cheese and salami. And uh, we, ordered, we ordered that. They call it charcuterie so they can charge you more, I feel like. I don't even know what that means, but it's cheese and salami. So we had cheese and salami. We had this board, and then, you know, we, bought a, we, we brought a bottle of wine. And, and so we, we opened up our, our balcony, and we literally were just listening into this wedding. 
we could hear every word they said. We could hear the, the singers. We could hear the, the pastor. We could hear the vows. It was, it was so, it, it was awesome. And we, we were just sitting there watching it and, you know, getting goosebumps and talking about our wedding and watch the, it was the second marriage and they were fully in love. Their kids were there. They did this lock thing where they, they put this lock around this like metal tree that they would then put on their mantle. And it was just, it was a super powerful, powerful time. And, uh, and so we had the best time watching this wedding. And then we went out to, to dinner and celebrated and started reminiscing and talking about our wedding and 15 years of, of marriage, and it, it, was, it was cool, and now I can officially call myself a wedding crasher. So I, I was pretty proud, pretty proud of that. Um, so it, it was super fun, and, and, I, and I started thinking about that as I was preparing this message and realized that, that God often uses our relationship with him in a marriage or wedding context. Did you know that the, the church is called the bride of Christ? Church is called the Bride of Christ. So you and I individually and the church corporately is, is literally a picture of the Bride of Christ. And it's interesting because we were born into a sinful world with a sinful nature on a pathway to destruction in a world married to bondage and limits controlled by the devil. That's how we were, what we were born into on, on a path to destruction. But thank God. 2,000 years ago, Jesus crashed into our life and interrupted your destiny and gave us the option to marry up into limitless potential and freedom. He gave us the option to come and join him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and he correlates that marriage and wedding with our relationship with him. He's so passionate about you, he decided to come all the way from heaven and crash your wedding. Title of my message is Wedding Crasher, because Jesus was the original wedding crasher. He was the original wedding crasher. Ephesians 5.25 says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. There's so many scriptures about this, I just picked out a few. Revelations 21.9 says, come and I will show you the bride, the lamb's wife. And of course, you know the lamb is Jesus. Isaiah 54, 5 says, your creator will be your husband. He's talking to Israel, Jerusalem, the people of God. And so the Bible is consistently talking about that correlation between our relationship with our earthly, you know, spouses and correlating that with our relationship with Christ. And um, Isaiah 54, 1 through 8 is a, is a powerful picture where Isaiah begins to, to prophesy to, the, to Israel who had been experiencing prosperity. And he, he begins to prophesy because they started to, to worship the blessing instead of the blessor. And so they started to, uh, to, to um, participate in pagan worship. And uh, the commentaries were saying that even the, the priests and the prophets were just getting drunk and pleasing men and not, you know, not prophesying what God was saying. And so there was this disconnect. There was a, a going away from, from God. And, and this, this passage of Scripture kind of has Isaiah prophesying. Uh, Jesus coming back and your creator becoming your husband again and what to do to kind of break down the strongholds and kind of deal with barrenness and, and lack and disappointment and, and how to do that. And then it comes back with saying that the Lord is your creator and he will be your husband. And so it's pretty a powerful passage of scripture that I wanted to read to you. So I'm going to read 1 through 8 and then we're going to kind of break it down. It says this, Isaiah 54, 1, New Living Translation says, Sing, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into loud and joyful song, O Jerusalem, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband, says the Lord. Enlarge your house, build an addition, 
Spread out your home and spare no expense, for you will soon be bursting at the seams. Your descendants will occupy other nations and resettle the ruined cities. Fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid, there is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrows of your widowhood. For your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. He is your redeemer, the holy one of Israel, the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you back from your grief as though you were a young wife abandoned by her husband, says your God. <clears throat> For a brief moment I abandon you, but with great compassion I will take you back. In a burst of anger, I turn my face away for a little while, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. It's a powerful, powerful passage of Scripture. Why don't I just pray before we get started. Father, I thank you for your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do today what only you can do. Father, show us how important the church is, how important we are to you. Father, we love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So, Verse 1 just starts out and says, sing, O childless woman. The New King James says, sing, O barren. I don't know about you, but singing when I'm barren, singing when I'm childless, when I'm without life is not an easy thing for me to do. I'd rather just be quiet. I'd rather just sit in a corner and feel sorry for myself. But the Bible is saying, sing, O barren. O childless woman. If you were childless in, in the Bible times, this was a very big disappointment. It was, it was a depressing thing if you could not bring forth life. So the Bible is saying, sing, O childless woman. You who have never given birth, break into loud and joyful song, O Jerusalem. You who have never been in labor. So not only is it hard to sing and, and just get up the energy to even sing a song when you're depressed and childless and without life. But now, but now the Bible is saying, break into loud and joyful song. When I'm feeling lifeless, the last thing I'm feeling and wanting to do is sing a joyful song. I want to just get around a bunch of other miserable people and feel sorry for myself. But instead he's saying sing a joyful song. The Bible says put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. In other words, praise unlocks something. Praise is a precursor to your breakthrough. All throughout the Bible, the Bible is saying sing, O barren. Sing, O barren, and watch breakthrough come in over your life. Because when we sing, when we praise, when we worship, it is an invitation for his kingdom to come into your life. That's what the Bible says. I'm going to read you a scripture in, in Psalm 22, 1 to 3. It's a, it's a scripture that we could possibly just pass over, but I want to I talk to you about it because it's all about praise. It says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's what Jesus said on the cross. Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and am not silent. And in the night season, and am not silent. In other words, David is starting to tell God how, how he's in despair and how he's crying out, but God doesn't hear him. And I love David because in the Psalms, if you read through the Psalms, he often starts out complaining or in de depression or despair, but then he switches. It's like he remembers that God is good, that God loves him, and that God is for him, that God is powerful. So this is what he says. He says, but you are holy. It's like something shifts. Something shifts. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. David's also the one that said, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Because when you're feeling depressed, when you're feeling despair, sometimes you just got to tell your soul to start to praise. Sometimes you got to declare to yourself 
to get out of your stupor and begin to praise God. It says, but you are holy, enthroned, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Praise releases God's glory into a situation, bringing those who are truly worshiping into an encounter with his presence. And in his presence, as you know, is fullness of joy, power, healing, miracles, prophetic words, wisdom, solutions, answers, freedom. In his presence is exactly what you need. And when you praise, you are inviting him in to bring those things. The verb enthroned, if you, if you study the commentary and study this, this word, what David is saying is the verb enthroned indicates that whenever, wherever God's people exalt his name, he is ready to manifest his kingdom's power in whatever way is most appropriate for the given situation. As his rule is invited to invade our setting. So in other words, your praise, it provides a present and specific landing strip for the presence of God to, to land on. So you're inviting him in, and it's not like we're manipulating God if we praise, but if you truly worship, if you truly praise, what an honor and privilege it is to invite him in to your situation. And, to, and, and so he can invade your situation in the way that he seems appropriate. Paul and Silas experienced this. You guys know the story about Paul and Silas probably in the New Testament where they were put in prison. What happened was they were, they were around, going around uh, Israel and they're they preaching the gospel. They're healing the sick, all this kind of stuff. And this, this lady, this woman with a spirit of divination, the Bible says, comes behind them and starts to walk with them for a few days. And she's basically mocking them. She's anno- the Bible says that Paul, greatly annoyed, turns to the, to the woman and says to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus, come out of her. And the spirit of divination leaves her, and, uh, and all the, her masters and the magistrates and the religious are, are all upset because she was an income source to all the people because she would, she would fortune tell and she would read fortunes and they would, they would pay. And it's interesting that Paul didn't try to counsel the demon out of her. He just said, get out in Jesus' name. He just rose up in authority because he was annoyed. Sometimes we just live with stuff. We live with stuff for too long. People need to get annoyed and turn to that thing and say, get out of here. In the name of Jesus. But we just accept this oppression. We just accept it. Sometimes you just got to get annoyed and say, get out of here. Just like Paul did. And so what happens is they, they, they bring Paul and Silas to the authorities and they tell them what happened. And the authorities, the Bible says, lay stripes on them. They beat them. And then they put them into the inner prison and they fasten their feet to stocks. And they chain them in their prison. And this is what, where, the, where the Bible picks up in Acts 16, 25 to 32. And it says, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. I don't know about you, but if I'm in the middle of the inner prison in deep darkness, it's stanky in there, it reeks, it's damp, it's dank. They're chained, there's probably rodents. They're in the middle and they, in their, although they're in that place, they begin to pray and sing hymns. And I guarantee you they weren't singing victim hymns, complaining hymns. They were singing hymns of faith and hymns of praise. They were inviting his kingdom rule to come into that specific situation. The Bible talks often about sing to the Lord a new song. Because he wants to do a new thing. But we continually do the old thing and sing the old song so we can't do a new thing. Sing to the Lord a new song. Not of misery, not of victim, not of complaint. Sing to the Lord a new song, a song of faith. Complaining doesn't attract God. Faith attracts God. Praise, true praise attracts God. Pastor Andrew uh, last Sunday night said the new day is in the new song. 
not the new songs in the new day. Start to declare that song and the new day will come. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Isn't it interesting that the Bible points out, everything in the Bible is so good, that the prisoners were listening to them. The prisoners knew who Paul and Silas were, and they were listening. They wanted to know how is Paul and Silas, the ones that are proclaiming Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, how are they going to respond when they're in a situation like we are, when they're in deep darkness, when they're in prison, how are they going to respond? Prisoners and people around you are going to be listening to you how you respond in your dark moments. Do you respond just like them? Or you, do you respond in prayer and in hymns to Jesus, believing that he's going to rescue you from this situation? We should be reacting differently. We should be responding differently. They should hear a different voice coming out of us than of everybody else. So the prisoners were listening to them. Then suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loosed. So because of Paul and Silas praying and singing hymns, provide, uh, uh, creating an atmosphere of the kingdom, not only were their chains loose, not only were their doors open, but all the prisoners around them, the Bible says, the doors opened. In other words, their praise freed somebody else. Can I just tell you that when you come into the house of God and when you lift your hands, even if you're not in a desperate need of, of God to move in your life, somebody around you might be. And, and I know this to be true, that when people come into here and they come in here bitter and they come in here offended and they come in here hurt and broken, but then when they see everybody else's hands open, when they feel the atmosphere that's created by your praise, next thing you know, by the end of the third song, their hands are lifted then the, and the chains are broken. The oppression has left and their hands are lifted and freedom is coming to that person because of your praise, because of your praise. Then it says this, it says, and the keeper of the prison awakening from his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself because his penalty for letting them go was they were going to kill him, so he was just going to take his own life. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm for we are all here. Then he called for a light, the keeper of the prison, called for a light and he fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. Isn't it amazing that because of two men's praise, because of two men's prayer and the inner parts of a prison strapped to the prison doors by their feet, isn't it amazing that their praise not only unlocked them, but it unlocked the prisoners that were listening to them and it unlocked the keeper of the prison. The Bible says he was awoken because there was an earthquake. They're, they're at the atmosphere of the kingdom brought an earthquake because God will determine how he wants to invade your situation. He came with an earthquake and he started to shake the foundations, waking up the keeper of the prison, the one who was the oppressor, the one that was trying to keep them down and bound, the one that you never thought could be saved the boss that you're dealing with, the estranged friend, the offended church member, the family member, the spouse, the one that you thought was impossible, even the keeper of the prison was trembling. He fell on his knees in front of Paul and Silas. And he says, how do I get what you have? There's something different about you. There's something in this atmosphere that I want. How do I get saved? 
And so because of their praise, they were loosed. The prisoners was loosed. The prison of the keeper of the prison was loosed. Him and his household. All of them were saved because of two men in the midst of depression and despair, decided to sing a new song, decided to praise. And I love it because it's a, it's a picture uh, of the church. It's a picture of Paul and Silas. I don't know if it was just Paul if he would have done that. The church is all about people. It's about coming around with people, doing things with people, doing life with people. Because I don't know if Paul would have had the boldness, would have had the energy, would have found the praise on the inside of him had he been by himself. But because it was him and Silas, I believe because it was both, both of them, they began to pray and they began to sing and they shifted generations of people because of their praise. The next part says, for the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband, says the Lord. So now that she has sang this new song, things have shifted over her life. The spiritual oppression is now left. Now she can start to do things. Now she can start to see clear. Now she can start to hear the voice of God. Now she can start to build some momentum to her true future. Prophetically declaring that this new song, that this praise that she offered up shifts everything. So now there's a momentum building. There's a spiritual oppression that has been lifted because we got to take care of the spiritual before we take care of the natural. The spiritual unlocks the natural. And so that, that, that garment of praise shifted off that spirit of heaviness. So now here's what the Isaiah begins to say in verse 2. Now you can enlarge your house. Now you can build an addition. Now you can spread out your home and spare no expense, for you will soon be bursting at the seams. Now is the time to start to expand. Once you remove that spiritual stuff, now you start to move forward in faith. You start to do actions that are appropriate to faith and not victim. So now that that spiritual stuff is gone, now she can start moving forward. Now we find out, do you really believe what God has said? Paul told Timothy, wage the good warfare based on the prophecies that had been prophesied over you. Start to take steps of faith based on what God has told you. Now that you've removed the blinds, now that you've removed that spiritual oppression, start to take steps. Start to sow seed. Start, to start that business. Go forgive that person. Do whatever it is that God is calling you to do based on the prophecies that he's already given you. Start to wage the good warfare. Your descendants, next part, your descendants will occupy other nations and resettle the ruined city. In other words, your breakthrough will trickle down into generations beneath you. The life you live will affect the life of those that come behind you. And I was preparing this message, I started to think about my parents. I have great parents, they've been married 50 years just a couple of weeks ago. And I started to think about my life and the, and the, and the price that they paid for me and that whatever I am inheriting and occupying in, in my life is largely due for the price that they paid in their life. They brought me into the house of God and I was saved when I was six years old. They've been praying for me my, my whole life. They sacrificed. They went without so that I didn't have to, so that my sisters didn't have to. They worked hard to provide for us. They, they taught us. They were examples to us. They were the most faithful people that I know. And they still support us, support us today. And I just couldn't help but think what I'm experiencing now, the blessing that I'm experiencing now is largely due to the price that a generation before me paid. And so what you do now will affect generations behind you. You may not have had great parents, you may not have come from a great family, but you can change everything starting now for your kids and your 
generations following you, your life matters, not just to you, but to the people behind you. The next part says in, in verse 4, it says, fear not, you will no longer live in shame. Don't be afraid, there is no more disgrace for you. You will no longer remember the shame of your youth and the sorrows of your widowhood. No more shame for being barren because things are changing, things are shifting. No more sorrow for being alone because of the next verse. Verse 5 says, for your creator will be your husband. Your creator will be your husband. Not might be, not could be, but will be. So you may have thought that your future was being married to oppression and bondage, but let me encourage you, your future is being joined to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He sacrificed everything to come into this earth to set you free and to set your life on a, on a brand new trajectory of prosperity, blessing, and limitless potential. This was a marriage between Jesus and the church that was prearranged. It was preordained. It was predestined. It was always in the plan of God for this union to take place. And if you, if you look at arranged marriages, both in the Bible days and even today, you will find that arranged marriages are done by the parents. The, the parents will say, okay, you can have my daughter and you can have my son. We'll bring them together. Oftentimes, very strategically, especially for the wife or the bride. Because this marriage union in an arranged marriage could be the ticket to that family's prosperity and freedom. And the bride never comes without a price. The bride never comes without a price. And so these parents will bring them together and the bride's family could be unlocked for generations. And our spiritual union is no different. Your father, your parent, your God in heaven has strategically prearranged this marriage for Jesus be the bridegroom to you, the bride. And he didn't violate the customs of what an arranged marriage looks like. In fact, he realized that the bride always comes with a price. And so he sent Jesus to pay full price for your life to set you free. And that is the ticket of your prosperity and generations and descendants beneath you. He knows that you come with a price. But he was willing to pay it. He was willing to pay it. 1 Corinthians uh, 6, 19 to 20 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your body and your spirit belong to God. He paid full price for you, and so he has full access to you. In the Bible, it also talks about our earthly marriage, and it says that, that, you know, the wife's body belongs to the husband, husband's body belongs to the wife. In other words, we don't even own our own bodies, which I'm quick to remind my wife on occasion that her body actually belongs to me. And actually, she's never said that, that to me. She's never said, your body belongs to me. Like, she's never said that. <laughs> but I'm happy to remind her. She loves it. Our bodies and our spirit belong to him. The Bible also talks about when a husband and a wife get married, when they truly know each other, the two become one flesh. One flesh. There's no tighter union than the marriage union. How can you get tighter than becoming one flesh? Well, the, well, well, the Bible says that when you become into union with Christ, you become one spirit with him. So that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is now in you. Your spirit is his, his spirit is yours. What he thinks you think you think he thinks, become one with him. 
1 Corinthians 6, 16 to 17 says, Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. A little bit of a side note, the reason that we, we tell you not to have premarital sex or sex outside of marriage is because everybody that you have are intimate with, you become one with. So now when you get into your marriage, the one that God has ordained for you, you might find that there's an intimacy issue. You may find there's a clash. You may find that things aren't working, that you have pictures in your head, that there's a, that there's a blockage, there's a stoppage. So you need to deal with those, we call them soul ties, those encounters outside of marriage because it could shipwreck your intimacy within your marriage because you're coming one with all these people. So if you need to deal with that, you might have, you're going to have an opportunity to deal with that today at the end of this service. But we become joined with the Lord, one spirit. And it's such a powerful, powerful picture. And that spirit that you're joined with is actually God, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. It's amazing. So your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. Your creator will be your husband. The Lord of heaven's armies is his name. Now, when I got married to my wife, everything she had was hers and everything I had was hers. She gained access to everything. Everything. Did you know that, that, that when you become joined with Christ, you gain access to the kingdom? And the Bible says it is his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. All of a sudden, everything Jesus had access to, you have access to one spirit with him. And you get his name. And his name is the Lord of heaven's army. That is his name. So with his name comes his authority. And with his authority commands universal respect and obedience. So that at the mention of his name, even out of your mouth, demons must flee. Sickness must dissolve. Strongholds must come down. Situations and obstacles must come into alignment with the name of Jesus and with the will of God. You get his name. And there's no greater name than the name of Jesus. The Lord of heaven's army is his name. The Bible says in Romans that all of creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. If you want to assert yourself as a son and daughter of God, you need to begin to speak with the authority that is given to you in his name. And watch all of creation, watch all of the universe respond to your authority. You can reveal yourself as a son or a daughter. Next part says, he is your redeemer, the holy one of Israel, the God of all the earth. Incredible that you can be, become one with the God of all the earth. For the Lord has called you back from your grief as though you were a young wife abandoned by her husband, says your God. For a brief moment I abandon you, but with great compassion I will take you back. He took your sins, and now he's taken you. In a burst of anger, I turned my face away for a little while, but with everlasting love, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. God is your Redeemer. If God had a business card and I could only put one name on it, I'd put Redeemer. Because God can redeem anything. He redeems everything. I've said this before, but God even redeemed the apple. The apple, which was once a sign of sin, is now a symbol of innovation. He redeemed the apple. 
If he can redeem the apple, he can redeem you. He is your redeemer. He is passionate about you. He's passionate about the church. There's nothing like the church. It's the only thing Jesus said I was going to build. He said, I'm going to build my church. And he crashed into your world for that very purpose, to build the church. For people say that you don't need the church to be a Christian. You don't need the church to go to heaven. They're probably right. You could probably sneak into heaven by yourself in a far off land if you accept Christ. But why? Why would you want to do Christianity by yourself? Why would you want to do life by yourself? It's too hard. We need people. We need the church. Paul needed Silas. Silas needed Paul. Even Jesus needed the 12. We need people around us to build the church. There's nothing greater than the church. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. I don't think I gave this to you guys. It says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together in the manner of some, but exhorting one another. And so much more as you see the day approaching be careful how you talk about the church. We need to honor the church. Don't forsake getting together. And that's not a pastor's ploy to get people in the house of God. It, it means we, we need to get together as, as believers, as Christians, united in what we're doing. We need to fight the good fight of faith together. We need to do it together. We have a, a, a city to reach and we can do it together. We can't do it by ourselves. So we need to treat the church with honor. We need to be careful how we talk about the church. It's the bride of Christ. It's what he died for, the church. We need to be careful how we treat the house of God. It's his house. It belongs to him. We need to be careful. I know this, that if I went away for, for a while and left my bride, I was going to come back just like Jesus will. But if I, if I left for a little bit, when I came back, I would look. And while I was away, I would get reports, who's taking care of my bride? Because I want to take care of who's ever taking care of my bride. Who's ever providing for my bride, I want to provide for. I want to give to. That's why it's so powerful when you give into the house of God, when you give to see the church advance because God is in heaven saying, he's taking care of my bride. The bride that I died for, I'm going to provide for him because he's providing for the bride. Let's honor the church. Let's respect the church. Let's treat the church like it really is the bride of Christ. Last thing is this, this marriage, this union. It was, a, it was a union initiated by God. It was a union, a unilateral covenant initiated by God, not based on your works or my works, but based on his love for you. So it doesn't matter what you've done in the past. You're not past redemption. Redeemer is who he is. That's what's on his business card. That's what he wants to do. And he, he can do it for anybody in here. I'm just so grateful that Jesus crashed my wedding 2,000 years ago and gave me that opportunity to invite him into my world, to marry up into the kingdom. Would you close your eyes and bow your head? I want to give you an opportunity this morning if maybe you're here today and you've never actually allowed Jesus in. Because he won't crash your life unless you allow him to. But maybe today you're saying, God, 
Jesus, come into my life. I want to follow you. I want to be joined to the God of all the earth. I want to have access to the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. The only thing you have to do is, as a sign of faith, is just raise your hand and then pray a simple prayer. Or maybe you're here this morning and, you know, in your past you've given your life to Christ but you've kind of taken it back. But today you're saying, you know what, I want to get back in line with Christ. So with every head bowed and eye closed, if you're one of those two people and you want to get back in to alignment with Christ or you want to invite him in for the very first time, would you, right where you are, with every eye closed, just lift your hand right where you are. Thank you so much for joining us online. We hope you had a powerful experience. We want to take this time to personally help you navigate the next steps in becoming connected. If you made a decision for Christ today, need prayer, or want more information about our church, go to our website, c3sandiego.com. And if you didn't get a chance to give online during service and would like to contribute financially, you can go to c3give.com and click on the giving option that works best for you. We look forward to hearing from you. See you at church.